Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. With your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've been the penny. I will buy the stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Thursday edition of Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. Spencer Israel, Joel Conan, Dennis Dick with you this morning. Uh, we're talking about the weakness in the vaccine stocks from yesterday. We've got earnings from Cisco and Lyft on our minds. Uh, today's uh, stupid stock of the day, or I guess yesterday's IGC. We'll talk about that. Don't forget that the deadline for 13F filings for the last quarter is coming up. It's tomorrow. So I expected that if not today, then definitely tomorrow, we're going to get uh, some 13F filings from, from Berkshire uh, and Icon and Ackman, some of the biggest hedge funds. So keep that on your radar for the next day or two. Uh, I expect we'll see some today, but more tomorrow. Uh, two guests on the docket for today at 8.15 will be joined by Kate Wong. She's a muni bonds expert. She's the founder of Puerto Rico Clearinghouse, and she's going to talk to us about what's going on as far as insider trading in the uh, Puerto Rico debt crisis. And then at 8.35, we'll be joined by Jake Wujastic from Trend Spider Hill, some cool charts to share with us. Uh, let's bring Joel on now. Joel, recap the overnight session for us. What's going on? All right, Spencer. Uh, green. On the screen in some tech stocks, uh, but not overall here. The S&P futures are trading lower. Uh, let me bring up that screen for you. We're trading lower by five and a quarter points here at 64.75. Pre-market high, 75.75. We just have those couple pesky highs up there, folks, is what we need to get through. 82 and a half. That was the high from yesterday's session. Uh, quite on the downside as well. We just have been uh, 62.75, right in the middle of the range. So really, uh, small range overnight for some of the recent volatility that we've had. Uh, crude is flat at 42.66, uh, only a 40 cent range in that. And this thing's coiling, so we'll see. But I've been saying that for a while. Look at those daily ranges in crude. Uh, gold still trying to catch a bid, but not doing very well. Down 8.30 here at 19.40 and a half. And you can see that 19.50, 19.60 level being a little bit of pesky here. Uh, silver, that's going the opposite way. That's up nearly 40 cents here at 26.35. Uh, going the opposite way of gold. And uh, Bitcoin just flirting with 12000 only a $400 range in that. That's uh, just called flat here at 11650 
Uh, Triple D, uh, what are you seeing out there? Kind of quiet, at, at least according to the S&P range here. I want to address something first. You know what Joel said to me on the pre-pre-market show? He told me I should wear a hat today. Is it really that bad today? Is it worse than any other day? I was like, I'm not wearing a hat. I'm like, the traders need the hair indicator. Well, it... <laughs> he told me I should wear a hat. I was like, I can't wear a hat. It's not that uh, bad. You know, um, I, I, well, at first, I thought it was a man bun. Oh, man bun. <laughs> No, oh, it's just, just bedhead. This is what you look like when you got a three-year-old that pops in the bed with you at one o'clock in the morning, sleeps sideways, and kicks you in the head for five hours. That's what you look like. <laughs> anyway, I, I, I apologize. No hat. No I apologize. Hat. Not everyone could be, you know, well-groomed like Spencer and I. But at least I got some hair still. So people are I'm watching. Lucky you enough that I have some hair. There. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Hair indicator says. This is a little bit of a leak, but what a move yesterday in the markets. I mean, new all-time highs. Did we hit? Uh, did we officially hit new all-time highs? Real close. Uh, in the S&P. cash, we did. In the you cash, know, we did. Yeah, because the futures, you know, the rolling contract and everything. If you ask me, you got to get over the September contract high. Uh, but uh, I was just looking at the cash, and I think I looked at it yesterday, and it was 85.16. But I think at this point, uh, you're kind of splitting the hair. Right. I mean, new all time high or not. I mean, we've come, you know, a thousand points off the low. It's unbelievable. So, yeah. Yeah. It's unbelievable that we are where we are in the economy and, and it's at all time highs. And I mean, you look and, you know, it doesn't make sense. Everybody Khalid on, on Twitter, they're asking, you know, here we are. We're back to all time highs before this whole pandemic started. Does this make any sense? I mean, the market hasn't made sense for a long time, but the market doesn't trade on logic, or at least, you know, not in the last while. It trades on momentum. It trades on fear, fear of missing out. And that's what we have here. And obviously, there's a lot of stocks that, you know, just trade. It's just buyers and sellers. So, you know, from away from the economy, it's not, doesn't care about any of that stuff right now. It doesn't care about the virus. All it cares about is that, hey, the market's going higher and people want to make money and they don't want to miss out. So the only fear, again, out there at this point in time is the fear of missing out. I don't even hear people talk about the virus much anymore. I mean, I used to check all the time. I'd go on and say, well, how many cases were yesterday? How many? I never look anymore. So, and I was one that was looking quite a bit. So if I'm not looking, it means nobody else is looking. Nobody cares. So I, I don't know what changes that. Uh, what, well, what do I always say? When, when a stock's making new all-time highs, you don't want to be short. And you know what? The indexes are going to start making new all-time highs. I don't want to be short either. So, you know, yesterday, I kind of thought that, well, maybe, you know, we had a pretty good sell-off. Maybe the rally would fade. Came Wrong. right in. Wrong. It kept going. I tried to even short the market off the hop. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try it. And you know what? It started taking out. So it opened. And the market kind of hung out for a little bit and dr- drifted down for the first 10 or 15 minutes. We drifted down just slightly. Hard. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll, lean on, I'll lean on the open. I'll lean on that high right after the open. Well, we came out, took out the highs. I got stopped out. So that's how you've got to play it. You know, if you're making a call, you can, you can try to trade on that side, but don't let, you know, don't let it get away from you. So I was trying to short the cues, and I think I ended up losing 30 cents or 30 or 40 cents because I put it just below where the, the high of the day was, and that was down. That's you can see, good. actually, the little blip. It, it, it ran up to like 268.5, and, 
And then it hung out and looked like some stocks were going to start leaking. We saw Fastly go red and we saw a few. I was like, well, maybe we do roll over. So I tried it, but then boom, we started making new highs. Six, 268.60, I think I got stopped out. And, you know, obviously a good stop. I was 271, 272 now. So if you're shorting stocks, have yourself an out and you'll be okay, even if you're wrong with what you say. Um, I think a big leader here uh, was the Tesla. I think you were spot on uh, with that call, you know, regarding splits. I didn't think it would give it back. Like, I didn't think it was going to tack on another 100 points. Look at the magic lines. But I thought it might hold up. That's unbelievable. I got to stop drawing these lines. I mean, look at that. I I know I'm a little bit off with the exact numbers. Oh, we're blowing through it today, though. 1585. (laughs) Well, hey, yesterday – I mean, that was a, instead of, you know, thinking that it wouldn't get up there, I should have bought the thing and said, hey, use that as a target. And uh, I think the exact number is 1585. Um, had to bring out the calculator, but holy moly, that one heck of a move. I, now you st- you get above here, you stay above here for a couple days, and you got to start yeah. thinking about the high of the move here. I- it's the S&P. I don't want to be short the stock until I actually hear added to the S&P. I think that's going to be a sell. You said that. You did. But it hasn't happened yet. So, I mean, and now the stock's going up on the split stuff. It's going to run up ahead to it. It's going to be a nice setup. It's going to be a really nice setup. You've been really because, talking about this. Because like you're Triple running. D. I mean, this is what it is all about. The trading is about your setup and having your plan of attack. My plan of attack is I'm waiting for the S&P announcement. It's probably going to attack on 80 or 100 points on that news. And I think that could be, you know, the blow off top. But it, it, it obviously was the blow off top back on earnings day when it got up to 1794 and then reversed. I mean, but we've come back and now it's got the split momentum. And, you know, yesterday, you know, I was going along with Gil and I thought, you know, maybe, you know, I, I thought the top was in tune. I still think the top might be in. I don't know if it's getting For back good? to 1794. Like the top top? Yeah, like the all time high, 1794. Like the top, top, yeah. Like, okay. Like all right. the all-time. That's what Gil said. I, I think, you know, obviously when the stock's 1450, it's a long ways off, so very well could be. Right. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't well, who knows anything? I mean, maybe the person's right who says it's going, I forget who it is. 5,000? Yeah, it's 5,000 target. I mean, who knows? Stocks go anywhere. They don't care about valuation or fundamentals. When they don't care about that, it's just going traveling on story. As long as the story's intact, it can do anything. But, Again, my plan of attack is to short it the day after it gets the pop from the S&P announcement. I think that's going to come fairly soon, but you know, who knows? We don't know when that's going to come. I'm not shorting sure until that, though, because I think there's 100 points in its back pocket, and I don't want to be caught on that announcement. Okay. All right. Let's, uh, what do you want to do, Spencer? What do you want to do today? Well, we've, we have... we've got four minutes before our first guest. Let's do a couple of earnings. Let's just start with Cisco here because they reported after they closed. Oh, no. Okay. That's going to take more than four dentists. Four minutes for Dennis to whine about. I don't. I think we can get through it. Cisco, uh, same story every quarter with them. They beat on the EPS. They beat on their sales. They always do that. But their guidance was a white. They gave guidance uh, Q1 adjusted EPS. They gave a range of 69 to 71 cents per share versus a 76 cent estimate. The guided sales would be down nine to 11 percent on a year over year basis. So um, another earnings beat. They beat every quarter and white guidance for Cisco. The stock is just a perennial underperformer. I have it in the long-term portfolio. I wish I didn't. I thought about actually selling it because it always disappoints on every quarter, it seems like. And it would have been a sell again yesterday. So 48.10 closes, 44.80. 
I, I don't know. They, they, it seems to find its way back up after the disappointment in earnings, but the growth is not there. They're looking at cutting expenses because they can't grow the company. WebEx sucked. I mean, you think about everybody should have been using WebEx in the last three months. And, you know, obviously they all went to Zoom. So Cisco had a great lead there too. So it's, they've dropped the ball for a long time. I mean, maybe it's time for a change at the top. Uh, well, 48, we talked about that yesterday. I might have even done uh, one of these tricks with 48. If you were so inclined to uh, to sell ahead of the report, I mean, this $48 level, I mean, you bumped up against it. You went through it a couple times. And then also, if you want to go longer term, I mean, 48 has just been the level. But that's history now. We can get rid of that line. Who knows if it will ever see 48 again. So remove that. I don't like the way this pre-market chart is looking here. We are hanging just at the lows of the pre-market session. So you got someone, I don't know if they're bringing in a, a short here or they have some puts that they're playing against, but you can see we're just sagging here. Um, got some work, maybe getting the lower 44 handle, uh, a daily low at uh, – I don't know. It's just it's just not bouncing. So that's no, not a good sign. It's, it's not going to bounce either. I don't. That's going to take a little while. Gonna, because, is it going to do an Intel? Yeah, I think so. Forty-four twenty. Maybe yeah, that's I think another an Intel to took out. like five six days to try to start bottoming. Ooh, five six days of that, and uh, we're going to be at like forty-one forty-two bucks. Yeah, that could yeah. happen. So talking completely against my buck, but this has been the dog of all dogs. So I'm. I'm you know what? Let's I, go. I I, I, I got just sell it and move on. I got a Better little bit. I money. got a little bit of this too, but it's I mean, been a dog. I mean, you can always look, and obviously, I got a lot of stocks in portfolios. So they all not all going to perform, but this one's been a dog. All right, it's tough <laughs> to be a value investor for the last fifteen years. Well, it's been horrible. No, it's been absolutely horrible. I mean, you think about just looking at oh, it's value tacked P's eight, nine, ten. How can you go wrong? Well, they just don't grow, and people want growth, and people don't care about the bottom line. People don't care about dividends. You know, the thing's got a three point two percent dividend. Nobody cares. Yeah, if you're losing they don't care about that. Overnight. They care about growth. They want to see the top line grow. And the stock here, you got techs. Most tech stocks firing on all cylinders, and this one's firing on none. So I, it's been an awful, awful stock for a long time. All right. Uh, I do want to go to our, our, our first guest of the day here, Kate Long. As I mentioned at the top, she's a muni bond expert. She's the founder of Puerto Rico Clearinghouse. And the reason we're bringing Kate on this morning is because we saw uh, the headline last week uh, that a couple of or five uh, New York based members of Congress had written a letter to the attorney general of New York uh, asking her to take a look at insider trading as it relates to Puerto Rico bonds because they're, they're in the midst of their debt crisis. So oh, I want to bring Kate on now. She's been involved in that process. Kate, good morning. Good morning, you guys. How are you? Good. It's been a while since we spoke, so why don't you catch us up here? What, is, what exactly is going on with the situation? Because we've, we've had you on our show several times in the past few years. Uh, and explain, just catch us up to speed here. Yeah, so Puerto Rico is a commonwealth of uh, the United States has about $65 billion of bonded debt. Um, in 2016, Congress created a law called PROMESA for them to restructure that debt and reform their government. And since um, 2017, they've been in the bankruptcy process, in a court process, and they Puerto Rico has 17 classes of debt. Some are real big pots of debt. And they did this first round called COFINA, and there was insider trading during that by these same hedge funds. 
but that pot got resolved. Sorry, you guys, I'm at the airport. And uh, then they moved on to the, another big class of debt called general obligation debt. And there's just been a massive amount of insider trading as that went on. And I started mapping it and talking about it publicly and telling, you know, referring it to the SEC and stuff. And then these five House members from New York uh, decided they wanted to ask the New York Attorney General to get involved, um, which is devastating for these hedge funds, potentially. So. So, so how exactly did this insider trading go down? So what happens is um, the um, court referred the um, litigation around this pot of debt to mediation. So the judge that was overseeing the mediation closed it and just allowed these hedge funds to be in the mediation. While that was going on, they bought about a billion dollars extra, you know, more of this debt while publicly saying it was invalid. So they filed court filing saying the debt was invalid, but then they were in this secret negotiation uh, deciding how much it was going to get paid and buying it. So essentially, they took a public position that the debt had no value and should be wiped out while privately buying it and negotiating its recovery. So you get, like, on many levels, you get, you know, potential securities fraud or, you know, whatever part of the, you know, federal code or state law in New York you want to, you know, use to address what happened. So I guess what is the next step here? Is it waiting for the AG to, to file charges? Yeah, so the New York Attorney General, this operates under this Martin Act, um, which is something Elliot Spitzer used in the 2000s against Wall Street um, very successfully. Very powerful state law. She can subpoena these hedge funds. She can disclose what she's doing publicly or keep it private. The key thing on this Martin Act, which is different than the Securities and Exchange um, anti-fraud provisions of the Securities Act is she doesn't have to show intent to fraud, to defraud, you know, others, which is called center in securities regulation. In under Martin Act, she doesn't have to, to prove that, which is typically a pretty high hurdle in securities fraud cases. So I'm, you know, I've been rounding up experts for her to um, use, you know, if she'd like to on both the mini market and the bankruptcy code. Um, and then Congress needs to address, you know, that's what I was doing this week was talking to people, you know, from people in Congress, um, you know, kind of what the overarching approach to this problem is, um, because it's basically corrupted the entire process of debt restructuring down there. So, uh, you know. Okay, Kate, how you doing? Kate Long Good. from, uh, oh, it's great to hear your cheery voice. <laughs> I, knew I, <laughs> I knew I'd get it. Oh, I was going to do the over-under on how many times I got you to laugh, but um, yeah. I, I, obviously you cannot name uh, the firms that are being, that, that's not public yet, correct? Well, they identified him, the um, House members identified him in the letter to okay. the Attorney General, the New York Attorney General. Okay, so uh, two things. I mean, you know, where does this rank up in like insider, you know, trading schemes, you know, as far as the conspiracy and as far as the amount of money um, that's made? Yeah. And, and secondly, you know, how big could the potential fines or sanctions be? So, you know, I've discussed this with bankruptcy professionals a fair amount. Let me explain that this is not uncommon for 
these hedge funds to get into bankruptcies and trade a little but typically in a corporate bankruptcy they you know they everything kind of gets arranged and then they go to the bankruptcy court and get them to approve it so the window is really so small for the trading right this inside trading in the bank in puerto rico it's been years this litigation has been going on for years so in the case of this particular one that was referred to the new york attorney general it's possible that this has gone on for 18 months the amount is probably you know maybe a billion dollars of trading um and you know you got to understand the bonds have gone from some of the bonds have gone from like 30 to 60 or 65 so you know they've moved up a lot this is by these guys buying it and having this information about it and stuff so in terms of what the remedy or the you know penalty would be on the part of the New York AG, I don't know. The over, you know, the more interesting or important question to me is Congress needs to just specifically write new law and say you can't do this, right? It's in the bankruptcy code. The way it is now, it's in the securities, um, it's in securities law, but it needs to be incorporated in the bankruptcy code. And that's what I was talking this week, you know, about the Senate looking at this in terms of, you know, investigating it and, and exposing these issues and stuff. Uh, for any forced liquidation of the positions or forfeiture to profits or uh, probably too early, too early to tell. So there's a Supreme Court case that is, that is, you know, is comparable to this. And essentially the Supreme Court said that the district judge that's district judge that's overseeing the bankruptcy has a menu of remedies that she can apply and you know basically probably the one that you know would be the harshest would her to say your claim for that bond is only what you paid for it so you paid 20 for it right you, you cannot now recover 65 which, which is what the deal is structured to do right because you bought that bond using inside information so you know there's like a menu of remedies that's within the bankruptcy itself. And then in terms of the New York attorney general, she can, you know, she can apply whatever kind of monetary fine she wants and criminal stuff. So, you know, the, you know, you look back at the New York attorney general's office last time they really went after wall street, they find the, the investment banks, you know, a billion and a half that spits on one deal. And then Merrill Lynch, a hundred million on another deal. So, you know, potentially who knows what it could be. They could also just say it's not worthy of investigation, but I don't think they'll say that. And just to wrap it up, just more of on a macro, uh, you know, you've seen what's going on, uh, you know, with uh, with the Fed and everything. Just give us a quick, uh, just wrap up on, <laughs> on any bonds there and more money yeah. coming in and interest rates. Just give us off our, I don't know if we have a lot of muni bond investors here. Uh, yeah. So just give us a quick look at that. And we'll, well your last guest said he, your last guest, I heard him say he doesn't like dividend stocks. So certainly then <laughs> he's not going to like muni bonds, which is the same idea, right? Just hold on to your principal and earn, earn some interest. But munis have massive demand. The city or the cities and states are probably going to start issuing more debt since the Congress is not, you know, can't agree with the president. The Democrats can't agree with the president to get this money, you know, new cash to the state and local governments. In terms of, uh, interest rates, you know, the, the Fed is really going towards yield curve, yield curve control. So, you know, we'll see probably, you know, depending on where they want to put that, we'll see some of the curve moving. Um, but basically, they really cannot, you know, raise interest rates right now. It's just the situation's too delicate economically. So, and Kate, before I let you go, you're at the airport. Uh, just curious, yeah. how crowded is it? So it's interesting.
interesting because I've been actually flying for months through this, and this is probably the one of the more crowded times I've seen it. It's, I would say it's like 30 or 40% full. Okay, interesting. All right, Kate Long, as you mentioned, <laughs> is the uh, bond expert. Thanks, founder, Kate. Founder of yes. House. Nice Thanks to, a lot, Kate. Thanks, you guys. Take care. All right. Uh, I know that was a little bit off of our what we used to talk about, but uh, how often do we get someone on our show who is involved uh, intimately in an insider trading uh, scandal? So I thought you guys might enjoy that. Let's go back to the stocks here. Let's go to Lyft. They were the okay. other big report from after the close yesterday. Um, EPS, you knew it would be bad. It, it was bad. They lost a, a buck 41 per share last quarter versus a 99 cent loss estimate. Sales, 339 versus $336 million. So the sales were okay. In the release, they were, you know, they were highlighting their quarter over quarter growth. Um, but if you look year over year, obviously it's disastrous. Active riders, 8.6 million last quarter, down 60% year over year. Uh, so you knew it'd be bad quarter over quarter, I guess it's fine. You know, they're good. It, it was much worse in, in, in April, uh, but uh, not great. Still. They, tr- they tried to lift it. No pun intended or kind of intended yeah, uh, right, right off the hop. Um, you know what really, and obviously not everybody knew it was going to be, you know, not so great a quarter. We knew Uber kind of set the bar low for them too. So they managed to get under the low bar. Um, what really hurt them was that when they were talking about California and the appeal and saying, yeah, we intend to appeal it, but if we don't, we might have to cease operations in California. And the stock fell significantly on those comments from the conference call. So, and it has continued to leak. I mean, obviously that's an issue, a major issue here if they've got to cease operations in California. So it's tough. I mean, the story for Lyft and Uber was awesome before Corona hit. Now, if we get past it, does the story become awesome again? Maybe. But this is going to be a tough go. And, you know, this is obviously a growth industry before we got to February and the growth has, you know, suddenly stopped completely. It's going to take a while before people are comfortable getting in strangers' cars. So that's why Uber and Lyft sales are going to be depressed for a while. It's not going to just bounce back like a lot of other things that bounce back. You know, yes, you can say they're technology companies, but bottom line here is they need riders. And there's a lot of people um, who don't want to ride in a stranger's car. So I just think until we get a little further past this, Uber and Lyft are no touches for me. And, and also, you know, this, this has always been like the bear case scenario for Uber and Lyft is, is if the regulators come after them and come yeah, after That's a problem. And, that's and, another and that's, problem. That's essentially what's happening. It's happening in Europe and it's now yeah. happening in California where the regulators are saying, you know, you need to give your drivers health insurance. You need to actually treat them like real employees, not, not, members of like the gig economy, not, not contractors. Right. And you need to provide some benefits. And that's always been the bear case is there is no regulation for this type for the gig economy, really right. For this type of service. And what if there is, well, it, it's tough because you can fill out an application application online an hour later, you can be an Uber driver. At least that's right. from my understanding. There's not, you know, any tests. It's not, it's not regulated nearly enough in my opinion. So that's always been an issue. I've never had a bad experience. I mean, I kind of love the Uber and the Lyft. I've used both. I love the experience of it, but there, there is definitely maybe needs to be more regulation there. And if they're going to get to the extreme cases where they're going to have to start ceasing operations in different States, it's a major problem. And that point, it just becomes a question of just outrunning the law in each state, right? You're just like leaving each state to outrun the the regulation, but this has always been the bear case. Yeah. I think COVID more. I mean, yeah, I think, 
the COVID, I think, has been the big thing. The second thing is, I mean, this thing has been a dog since its IPO. I mean, it has been in a dog. I even got a trend line Did it ever here. get back up there, Joel? Did it ever it get back? never sniffed it, man. Never, never, never got it, back to it. Like, from never. where it was, where it opened that day after IPO day up at $87. You're right. Like, I mean, this is a clear, clear, clear draw. Joel's drawn the line from, <laughs> from the last two years of trading with Lyft. It's a clear downtrend. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. Not, I mean, if you want to make a pretty little triangle out of it, you could do this. But then for bulls, you're falling out of the bottom of the triangle. I'm I mean, just, Uber is the same thing, right? Has Uber ever got back to where it yeah, was? Yeah, I, 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 let me, let me pull it, it up. It might have just kissed back. up there, but it never really – people who bought these on day one are all down money. And they've all been down money most of the time. Uber hung out a little bit. It gave you a couple shots to get out near that. I'm looking here at the monthly. But just uh, going back to Lyft, uh, it's not lifting, as Dennis said. Uh, 28.70. I see three lows in the same area. We're still a ways away from there. But that's where I think we may be heading over the next couple days. So wouldn't be throwing any bids out there quite yet three lows in the same area if it gets down there today maybe good for a bounce but uh that's what i'm looking at in lift kind of the same story here with small direct club recent ipo never got never even sniffed yeah. the, the ipo straight part. down uh straight down it, earnings last night is why i bring them up and the earnings were bad 25 cent loss was their EPS first a 14 cent loss estimate sales sales beat but on the bottom line it, it's it's pretty ugly so same story with that. Yeah. Uh, multiple lows in the same. I'll just go, probably don't want to talk about this one a whole lot, but uh, you got a bunch of lows here in the same area. It's about another 60 cents away. Basis the daily. Actually, there's quite a few here. Let's call it 830. That's all. I mean, that's where I'd have. At least it's been trending up. At least Smile Direct in the last few months has been trending up. Obviously, a lot of things have been trending up in the last few months, but I mean, we're holding in there. You get above 10. There not you saying go. this is going to happen, but why bother with this until it gets above 10? I mean, I don't care where it goes down to 8, 7, 50, 7. I'm not going to be part of it. But until it can get above 10, it's hard to get interested in this stock. All right. Uh, jobless claims are better than expected. Only, only 963,000 claims last week versus a 1.12 million uh, estimate. So... I guess that's good news. They have not been moving off these numbers. The no. market doesn't care. No. So hey, you see anything moving out there, Triple D? Which stock are you looking at now? Just the, overall, the spoos are lifting here. Oh, wait, wait. We're just, we just – I mean, let's go look overall. And you can see we're we had the rotation move back to tech yesterday. Big tech, mega tech, not the little stuff. Mega tech came back into favor yesterday, and it came back into favor hard. And if you look here this morning, it's kind of more the same. I mean, if we look, the NASDAQ is trading green. Um, a lot of your, you know, smaller IWMs in the red here. So you've got, you know, other components that are trading down. Your banks are trading in the red. So that rotation continues here too. I mean, we were wondering, it was like four or five days where value was starting to outperform tech. And we were wondering, okay, you know, it's going to flip back. You know, it's going to flip back. It flipped back yesterday and flipped back big time. I mean, the move in AMD and NVIDIA yesterday was absolutely incredible. I mean, NVIDIA, you know, three days straight down, gets it all back in one day. Now you have uh, somebody coming out, I forget who it was, coming out with a bull target, Raymond James, raising the price target up to 500. Um, so you got NVIDIA approaching new all-time highs here too. 
obviously I put the long call spread on an AMD, um, which, you know, I wish I would have just bought the stock because I would make more money than, than just doing the call spread. I put it on a little early. I started at around 79 and obviously the stock dripped all the way down to the 76 handle. So it's back at 82. Uh, I'm up in it, but I'd be up more if I bought the stock. Yeah, we were talking about that when you put those spreads on. Yeah, you could look and say, yeah, well, the max is like 13 or 14 if you put it on for six or seven bucks. But you almost need them there. You almost have to have a target ahead of that because it really it almost takes the expiration in order to, you know, for them to get the full value of it. But uh, that's a good call. It's tough because as the stock goes higher, it's not going to, you know, like if you just buy the stock at 79, and it goes to 100, you sell it, you make 21 points. You put that call spread on for six bucks, it goes to 100. You're not going to be able to extract the full 20, you know, unless it's on the day of expiration. It's going off the board and it's above 100 bucks because there's time value. And what if it goes back down? So, I mean, you know, yeah, it's a more conservative way to play it because if I'm wrong, I probably can salvage something out of it if it started to break down. But, you know, and in the case where, you know, you're just flat out long the stock, you've got real losses there. So you limit your losses, but at the same time, you limit your gains, but, you know, it doesn't, you know, it's all timing of it, too. I mean, if it runs straight to 100, I'm not extracting that the, the, the 20 points immediately. You're not going to be able to. And like you said, actually, my max gain is really 14 points because I had right. six to put out. So it, it, it's, you know, it, it was a different way to play it. I never play them that way. We know I'm a stock guy, but I was like, nah, I would try it this way. And, you know, you see you're in the spread. I'm up about a buck right now. But I was like, wow, 79, 83. I'd be up almost three bucks over $3 if I just bought the stock flat out. That's why, you know, I've always looked at options and saying you use options when you don't have the money to buy the stocks. But obviously, I'm prop trader, so money's not an issue with bright trading. So, you know, if I'm making calls, buy the stocks. So, anyways, it's a way to limit your risk. Different way to play it. I was having some fun. All right, about one minute before I'm going to bring on our next guest, Jake Wujastic from Trendspotter. George, you want to just give us an update here on the S&Ps? Yeah, we're lifting. Uh, we're lifting. We're in the green now by uh, two and three quarters handles, 75-75, stand to your pre-market high. So through that, there's really nothing to give you on the upside, folks, except for uh, – Tuesdays and Wednesdays highs are fairly close to each other, 33.79 and then 33.82.50. So there's uh, there's some of my initial targets here on the long side. All right. I want to bring Jake on right now, if I can. Jake Wajastic, as I mentioned, he is a, he's a co-founder, one of the co-founders of Trendspider. Uh, it's a cool charting platform. Let me, I got his audio. Let me get his video up here. Jake, uh, I hear you. Good morning. Let me see if I can get your camera up. There we go. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good, good. How's it, how's it hanging out there? Oh, it's good. It's nice and early in Denver. So uh, thanks for getting me out of bed nice and early today. So uh, I always, uh, honestly, I'm most productive when I get up at six instead of seven. So it works out. Well, this is something that I always ask everyone who's, you know, in the Western or the mountain time zones is, you know, if you're in the markets, you got to be up early. So like, you know, what do you, what, what is your routine like? Like you, I figure you must be active in the mornings, right? This- uh, honestly, I'm really not. Uh, so I do a lot of my analysis at night. Um, I'm more of a position trader. So I'm not necessarily like dealing with the opening bell too much. Um, a lot of the time, uh, I'm not sure if you can see my screen, but I'm usually looking at raindrop charts, kind of looking at, you know, what happened yesterday, where was buyer, uh, where was buying volume or selling volume or more or less where were shares being absorbed. And so I'm going to go over that today and just kind of explain what that means. But yeah, for my mornings, uh, I used to be 
you know, up at 6.30 looking at everything. And, you know, just with uh, how busy TrendSpider is, I've decided to just play the position trading uh, right now and um, kind of saves my mornings. Uh, Jake, before before we uh, go into your charts and everything, I, uh, I thought I saw a tweet from you, and correct me if I'm wrong, about um, – you had, you lost $150,000 at one point in your trading career. Did, was that you or did I read that from somebody else? No, no, that was me. No, I, uh, back in 2015, uh, I kind of actually missed it that it was 2015 into 2016. So it was more 2016 where I got railed, but, um, yeah, no, I lost 125 K trying to short the markets back in 2015 when, you know, Janet Yellen, uh, told us that she was going to raise interest rates four times in 2016. And, you know, as a as a younger, ignorant uh, person, I looked at that and said, oh, well, she can't lie. She's got to do it four times. <laughs> that not work out too well. Oh, you learn hard. You just don't short the market. So you flip to the long side. You've been making money ever since. <laughs> yep. yep. So Pretty much uh, how it works. Stocks only go up. <laughs> yeah, I heard. <laughs> what? Okay. So we just – because, you know, we have so many people that come on and just – talk about the winner winner winners but anyways i like to we like to hear the flip side of things so go ahead take it away yeah joel uh jake why don't you uh, bring us some charts here and i i, I let's start with the spy here because your charts are pretty unique uh from other types of chart patterns out there i mean i, I see there you've got uh what there's a like uh, 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 open high, low close bars, or whatever you want to call them. But explain to us what what the the raindrop here is that we're looking at. Yeah, so the raindrop is essentially instead of your open high, low close, um, it is kind of like a bar chart on the first layer of this. So you can, if you guys can see my screen, essentially instead of your left bar being an open and your right bar being a close. The left bar is your average price, uh, volume weighted average price for the first half of the day on the left, and then your volume weighted average price for the second half of the day on the right. Now, this isn't just the daily chart. You can use this on lower time frames. So if you're on the 30-minute, it would be the first half of the 30-minute candle, second half of the 30-minute candle. But So if you are looking at this like a bar chart, it is essentially a bar chart on the first layer with the bars, except instead of that being open high, uh, excuse me, open close, it is the volume weight average price. And then your, your bottom and your top are the uh, high and low. So essentially a raindrop is being able to see not only the volume weight average price, but also the volume profile for the second half of the day and the first half of the day. So for example, here you can see that the volume profile on the left-hand side, the volume profile on the right-hand side, and it will tell you essentially where supply is being absorbed. So a lot of people ask us, well, you know, and, and this is why I kicked myself earlier for saying buying or selling volume, because in my opinion, there's really not such a thing. It's where, you know, we're all, you're always going to have supply. You have to have supply in order to buy something or for a transaction to go through. What the raindrop is telling us is where is that supply being absorbed by buyers? So uh, in this case, you can see um, this is a green raindrop. Essentially, the different colors just mean where the volume weighted average price is on the first and second half of the day. So for a bullish raindrop, the VWAP on the left-hand side is going to be lower than the, uh, the right-hand side, just like a typical bar chart. The neutral raindrop, um, still trying to figure out what color this is, uh, purple or blue for whoever's watching, I think it's blue, some people call it purple, is essentially a volume-weighted doji. So the VWAP for the first half and the second half of the candle are equal to each other. 
And these things are really interesting to see on reversal points. Let's say that you have a blue raindrop on a, uh, you know, a very self-fulfilling MA. A lot of the time you'll see some interesting moves. And then the bearish raindrop is just the opposite of the bullish raindrop where the VWAP for the second half of the candle is lower than the first. No different if the close was lower than the open. So this is a way to visualize how volume is flowing throughout a particular period of time. So in this case, the way I like to use it is simply by looking at the hollow candle versus the raindrop and seeing are they consistent, are they not consistent. So in this case, you can see hollow candle versus the raindrop. Typically on a bearish setup like this, if you, and what you really want to do is you want to see if there's volume within a wick. So in this case, this was an Amazon candle last month. You can see this huge wick here, and the first question would be, well, was that wick created on just a low liquidity trade? Was that just some crazy market order where there was no um, supply above, and it just you know, pretty much jacked the price up very quickly? And using the raindrop, you can see how flat this is at the top. So that tells us that there were no buyers at the top of the range. It was simply just a very um, you know, illiquid market order that went through, and there was really no conviction by the buyers. Now, if you compare that to a hollow candle that actually does have volume within the top of the range, this is an example of Netflix back in April before we broke out through the uh, pretty defined resistance. And you can see here that you've got this candle here with this pretty big wick. We do have a hollow candle, so it did show that buyers were in control from the open. But then if you compare the raindrop to the hollow candle, you'll see all of that volume was being absorbed at the top of the range. So people say, you know, is this buying or selling volume? Well, it's volume that's being absorbed by buyers because if there weren't buyers here absorbing the supply, you'd have a candle that looks like this, just flat. So, so it's really a new way to look at the market. Um, and uh, if we go to SPY, this is a pretty cool example from uh, earlier in the week. You can see what happened here, right? We had that huge sell-off on the 11th of August. And, but we broke through this previous area of horizontal resistance. Hey, 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 can you zoom in a little bit? Yes, yes. Can you guys see it a little Excellent. better now? Yep. Excellent. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Okay. So, you know, if you're looking at this and you're saying, well, you know, this was a huge sell-off. Well, if it was truly a sell-off and it was truly bearish, we probably wouldn't have seen buyers absorbing price at the top of this range. Very similar to what we saw back in uh, late in mid-July. You can see here, same type of thing. We had this big breakout and then just a complete pullback here. But if there were really not, if there were no buyers, we wouldn't have seen supply being absorbed at the top of the range here. And so you can see here, you know, both of these times we did continue higher a couple days later. And so, so just yeah. to, to go further on the point, can you go back to March and see where we really did have sell-offs? Did that does that theory hold? Because if you look at those candles, was you know like the, did the did the March candles look different when we really were having sell-offs? I'm just curious. Yep. So if you look here, most of the sell-off days, you can see a lot of that volume was at the bottom of the range. So there were no buyers absorbing price here. It was all sellers coming in and okay. uh, buyers having to absorb price at the lower range. So anytime we had sell-offs here it was essentially you had this, this uh, kind of ugly raindrop where the second half of the day, you can see that actually new lows were created here. Yeah. And how do we know that? Because there, it's flat on the left-hand side. So we know all of that volume came in during the second half of the day. And you can even see here on the green days, there was no volume. There, were no, there was no conviction by the buyers here 
really until we started reversing. And you can see how these change. And we started getting more of that volume at the top of the range being absorbed. Cool. No, I just want to see the comparison and the difference because obviously in the last three months we've been going straight up. So what it looked like yeah. on the way down. So Yeah. So uh, on this particular case, you will see a lot of those raindrops having the volume at the top of the range. And then my favorite case study over the last month or so is the, uh, the two instances this occurred. The, the main way you want to use raindrops is one, comparing them versus hollow candles, and then two, using these around resistance areas. So I heard you talking about it in NVIDIA earlier. NVIDIA is a really cool case study on this. Um, so for example here, if we split the screen and look at the hollow candle versus the raindrop, you can see here that we were at this resistance zone um, and we broke out. Now, if you look at the hollow candle, notice what we have here. It looks like sellers came in and actually pushed the price down. You can see this wick here. Now on the raindrop, you can see all of that volume above resistance, or at least a lot of it was being absorbed above resistance. And then this is your classic kind of flush before the reversal. And then you had your continuation up. And then even yesterday, we had a pretty strong day with volume really being focused at the top of the range. But my favorite way to use this is the, uh, the hollow candle versus the raindrop and being able to see, you know, around an important area of resistance, is this actually important? So uh, the case study I went over um, before on, on Netflix, you can see the same type of thing where we were essentially at this long-term resistance. I wouldn't say long-term, but it was, it was long enough where it was, it was touched multiple times and respected. But notice here, right, we've got this candle here. Finally, we break out of this resistance. But if you go to the hollow candle here, you'll see something different. It looks like sellers actually came in and pushed the price below this, uh, this area. So if I highlight this particular candle, one second, let me just get it all set up. You'll see something pretty cool. You'll see that this particular candle this looks like sellers were clearly in control based on where we closed. Yeah, we penetrated yeah. the resistance. Now you go to the actual raindrop and you'll see something different. You'll see all of that supply that was being dumped on the market above this resistance line was actually buyers absorbing supply. And then you had your two day move up and then you had your pullback right to this area before continuing to move up. And you can see this area was tested multiple times before really taking off. So, um, it's a really cool way to use as a comparison tool versus the hollow candle. So would you, like, I guess you could use this for all, all, all types of time horizons, right? Swing trading, interday, even longer term investing, right? Yeah. So we don't have a weekly or monthly raindrop yet. That's like okay. um, top on our list because I'm a position trader. I've been begging for a weekly or monthly raindrop for a while now, um, but we just haven't gotten to it yet. But for me, I like to use these on the daily as just an idea. Is this actually, you know, is our buyers actually in control? Because if they weren't, you know, if we had this type of candle that I'm showing right here on Netflix, but it was something that looked like this candle right here, I wouldn't have thought that was, was bullish. But the fact that we did have that volume being absorbed within the wick was a different story. So in that top example there, if you, if you can go back, is, there, is it right to say it's bearish or is it, did the volume just not match up with, with the wicks of the candle? I, I guess, is that necessarily a bearish indicator? That, that to me doesn't seem- How like often that. does it play out this way? Like, right. I know you don't have stats, but it does it play off? Yeah. 
Okay. So you guys can see that this is a hollow candle and this is a red raindrop. So a lot of the time you'll be able to look for discrepancies and a lot of the time this is bearish. So if we go to something like SLV over the last week, mm -hmm. you'll see something pretty interesting where we were at the top of this range, right? And it was a red raindrop. However, you go to the hollow candle and it was just a hollow bullish rain, uh, candle. So being able to look for these discrepancies, it's almost like looking for divergence where the, you know, the open to the close, you know, bulls are in control. But then you look at the raindrop and you see that the volume is actually not telling us the same story here. The VWAP for the second half of the day is not higher than the first half of the day. You can see what happens after that. And it's not an end all be all. It's not like, oh, there's a discrepancy here. I'm going to go mortgage my house on this trade. Yeah, yeah. It's more or less. It's more or less looking for inefficiencies in the market using these two tools. So these charts, uh, to answer your question from the chat, these charts are on TrendSpider. I should also mention that TrendSpider, you guys get Benzinga news now. So uh, yes, we do. be on TrendSpider and get Benzinga at the same time. Two birds at one stone. Uh, maybe, maybe you want to do like one more for us here, Jake. Do you have a, another example you can share with us? Yeah, sure. So um, actually, one thing I wanted to go over is seasonality. Um, if you guys don't mind, we may yeah, flip the script. love seasonality. Um, so seasonality is really interesting. Uh, we just came out with this example uh, or this feature not too long ago, and you'll see something pretty interesting. So um, if you're looking at, like, let's say, a technical chart like Amazon here on the longer-term time frame on the monthly chart, you'll see that we are at this long-term area of resistance. Now, the question is, will this actually hold? Who knows? But being able to tie this in with seasonality is really important. So you'll see here at the top of the range above the Benzinga news feed, you'll see that over the last six years in July, 83% of all Julys were positive. They closed green uh, prior to the previous month. Now, if you go into August and September, you'll see these numbers start uh, dramatically decreasing. And it shows that only 50% of August were green over the last six years. And only 20% of September's were green over the last six years. So you can kind of tie in these seasonal percentages into your chart and get an idea. All right, well, this looks bearish on the chart. Uh, and it's only bearish until it becomes bearish, right? Just because we're at long-term resistance doesn't mean we're going to reverse here. But we are here now. And so we have to kind of take it for what it's worth now. And so being able to apply the seasonal trends and the seasonal um, you know, month or the uh, percentages for the months, and then you can even do this for, let's say, a week. Let's say you're a scalper or you're a, you're a day trader. You can even do this for the day of the week. You can see on Friday has a much lower positivity rate than your Monday, 60% versus 46. So this is a way to kind of get an idea of, you know, is this something that is, is in conjunction with the technicals? Are these saying two different things? Um, like anything in technical analysis or fundamental analysis, there's not like a you know, an end-all be-all, but this really helps you get an edge in the market. And what we really want to do is provide as much information efficiently as possible to our users so they can make an educated decision quicker. Uh, Jake Wujastic, as I mentioned, is the uh, is one of the co-founders of TrendSpider. I'm being asked from the chat, do you have any discount codes for the pre-market prep gang? Hello, hello, we do. Thanks, <laughs> 35. Nice. That is 35% off any plan um, so if you just type in thanks 35 in the coupon code uh, tab, when you go to sign up for a plan, just type that in and you will be uh, set up with 35% off any plan that you choose. Wow. He came prepared. All right. Jake Wojcik is from TrendSpotter. Jake, thanks a lot for the time today and for the charts.
hey, thank you guys so much for having me and uh, have a great trading day. All right. Uh, wow. He, I, did, I did not expect him to actually have a coupon code. So I'm surprised good. he good. actually did. All right. Uh, That's cool. I mean, you look at it from yeah. a different perspective. And yeah. obviously, you know, that you can just look at these spar charts and then you're like, okay, well, where's the volume? Where was it happening? And and obviously, you know, it's, it's a different way to look at it. So sure. and he's sure. found an edge this way. So good for Jake. All right. Good, yeah. good for Trend Spider. Real quick, someone asked about buying uh, buying blink options uh, ahead of the report, and you know, if you like the stock, you like the stock. I mean, just BLMK. to give you an ex- yeah, be on LK. It, it's trading here. What at eleven eighty seven? Right? No, eleven fifty seven. I mean, if you the the tens right now. Uh, you probably have to pay like around two bucks for them, right? Oh, they're so, probably more than two bucks. Well, tens, yeah. it's eleven fifty. Uh, I bet you the tens are three or four. No, they're not too bad. I'm looking at them. The ones that expire in August. The well, when's, market, the, when's the earnings? Uh, this afternoon. Okay, so two dollars and five cents was the ask was the, on the offer. Close. On the yeah. close, yeah. That, so, yeah, but then you obviously, if it goes down, you're losing two bucks, right? So, I guess it does make sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, lower price stock. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, for probably what you'd like, the 12 and a half, so they want a buck, right? You know, so, so, you're 13 and a half even. Yeah. I yeah. mean, if you're going to buy the 12 and a half, right now, right the 15 or something. I mean, yeah, right? but I guess it's only 35 cents on the bid there. So, it's. Yeah. yeah. I just wanted yeah. to give that example. It's I'm so a, tough. I mean, even back to my AMD. I've always been a fan. You bullish the stock, you buy the stock, you bearish the stock, you short the stock. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it, it, it's tough to play with options because especially the time premium. Earnings. Yeah, because the time premium you're going to eat. I mean, we talked about it, um, you know, with CC on Amazon, and we were looking. You know, we thought maybe Amazon go to 3200. That's what the options were saying. They could go to 3200, and the stock was trading 3050 then. Well, you were paying 100 points for the 3200. You basically didn't make anything. So, but if you would have did it the other way and bought the 3050 and sold the 3200, it would have made some money. So, I think if you're doing them, you almost got to do them with the spread. I just don't like the 15s, like 35 cents. Yep. So, it's like, it's just not a lot of, you know, meat on that bone. Um, you know, with, with the case of AMD, when I was selling the 100, I was still getting like six bucks for the 100. So, I was getting, you know, some meat on the bone where 35 cents, it's like, okay, well, you know, you got a commission involved. I guess maybe in some retails you don't, but, you know, in some places you do. And you start adding it all up and you're like, man, you know, it's hard to sell an option for 35 cents. No, options don't have commissions. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. So, so 30, 35 cents. I mean, it's hard to sell an option for 35 cents when you consider the commission involved. So it's tough. It's tough. All right. Uh, I want to go into the chat here and get, get through some tickers. Someone asked about DG a while back. Let's just pull the chart up of Dollar General. Didn't they, uh, didn't they have news yesterday? I I this is breaking out to new all-time highs. Maybe I mean, a stock has fired on that all, was <laughs> all cylinders forever. I mean, this stock has been a clear uptrend for seven years. Um, the dollar stores still remain hot. People just go in there. Stuff's cheap. They get what they need, and they move out. I mean, um, 197. I don't see any reason why this isn't going through 200 here eventually. It looks like it's in breakout mode. I never want to be short a new stock making new all-time highs. Why not be long this and, you know, stop yourself out maybe below 185, 187, but you look like you're ready to break out. Although breakouts have been tough uh, to a certain extent, but the stock has been consolidating for a long time. 
this looks like a pretty clear stock that wants to break out. Yeah, I looked at that chart. I'm not great with stocks breaking out like that, but I, I just, you know, just figured, what the heck, let's pull up Dollar Tree, right? And uh, to me, this has an interesting formation here. These are old monthly highs. Let's just uh, call it 100 bucks. So I, I know it's been the, the laggard of the yeah. two, but man, listen to these monthly highs, Triple D. 9982, 9969, 99 and 9940. Those are monthly. Bucks. Get bucks. 100 bucks and it's off to the races. Put your buy stop in and uh, let it go. Don't go be with short you. above 100. Yeah, there you go. That's pretty good. That, the other chart was a little, you know, breaking out all-time highs. Uh, Triple D, you're a little bit uh, better with that. Wait, I don't remember. Did we talk about Novavax and Moderna today? I, I, no, uh, we did, haven't. I know, we talked about it before. The, the show. And is there Novavax think... news here? The stock was down eight boxes, now went to the green. Uh, that's so, just normal trading. I, I guess. <laughs> yeah. There I was, mean, there we was were a press release out. There was a press release out a few minutes ago, maybe 15 minutes ago, maybe, maybe a little more. Uh, they announced uh, a collaboration with uh, this company, SK Bioscience, uh, on Novavax's vaccine candidate. So they're just collaborating with someone else. Uh, it's a, I think it's a Korean company. We get some right. We get some wrong. We got this right <laughs> yesterday. We said in Moderna and Novavax. I didn't like either of them. Um, I'd be selling them both. And it absolutely turned out to be the correct call. Novavax got absolutely killed. I could not understand. Like I said, I was even short the stock and I got shaken out. I was too early on it. But I shorted Novavax on the Moderna earnings or on the Moderna, you know, um, government contract there. And it started going up and it went up like two, three bucks and I got shaken out of it. And obviously I should have got back in in the morning because it opened up and never really, really took any heat from where it opened. It went straight down from the open forever. Like if you look, you know, just from yesterday's trading, 150, we were basically open and we went under 120. I mean, That's just crazy. a huge sell off. Moderna, same thing. You got to take profits into these pops on these things because they're, this, the story is becoming numbing. And what I mean by that is they're not getting the moves that they got before on the positive headline. So when you get the initial algo pop, it's an opportunity to get the hell out. We saw it with Gilead happen before. Um, when the yeah, story Gilead. starts to numb, when the reactions to the to the to their starts to numb, it's time to start ringing the register on the pops. So I mean, it's even hard. If, it's hard in those things too. You know, well, it's hard to short them, but it's not hard if you're in the thing. So like you know, you just get that you're on the pops, you get out. I mean, you got six seven bucks it gave you yesterday on Moderna. If you held it till this point, you made nothing. So take the gift, take the gift. If you happen to be in it and you get this ten percent pop on some you know headline it seems like it's been the selling opportunity i think the market's becoming numb to all these vaccine plays um so like an, i think nvax i think all pops be sold including the one that's having right now today um i would not want to be long any of these stocks there's a lot of air below people really got angry i had multiple twitter hate for me talking bearish on novavax yesterday they're not going to like me again because i'm gonna talk bear i talked bearish at 149 I'm going to talk bearish at 124.2. I think the stock should be sold. It's just my opinion, but the trend is broken. They are now numb to these. And, and yeah, you know, if it comes out and they've got it, they figured it out, there could be some more headlines, but they're just not getting the pop that they used to. I think, the, I think it's turned. I think the momentum has turned for all these things. I don't want to be long these vaccine plays. Let's just do one more and we'll do two of them together, Alibaba and Baidu. Baidu reports earnings today after the close. Alibaba is next uh, next week. 
I own Alibaba in the long-term portfolio. I'm not getting rid of it. I've been in since 140. I'm just going to hold on to it. It's going to be, it's in the retirement account. Um, China, you know, Kramer says it's the one that he holds. I agree with him. I think it's the best Chinese stock going. Um, I'm going to hold on to Alibaba. I obviously got headline risk if they delist some of these companies and we're kind of at war with China to a certain extent, but a lot of people buy a lot of stuff on Alibaba. Um, I'm sticking with it. 250, uh, it's just a rock here over the last couple, just under 250, you had multiple lows between 46 and 48. Doesn't look like we're going to see that today, trading up in the pre-market. Not going to give a lot to this 57, 70, well, you got, just look at this, your daily high, if you're looking for some shorter term targets, uh, a minor one, 57.76. And then the big number for me over the next couple of days, pair highs just under 266. And Baidu? Yep, they report this afternoon. Knocking on the door here, breaking out to the upside. Uh, I would just look, one, I'll go wide on this one, 115 to 135, triple D. I'd rather on Baba. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Yep. It's it's been the dog. I mean, you look at Baidu, Baba. Baidu's up at two sixty, two seventy. It's been going trending down, trending down. So it's been an underperformer. Kind of look at like Cisco versus Tech to me. If you know, you're looking at China stocks, Baidu versus Baba. Why do I want to own Baidu? Every everything. I don't want to own the laggards. The laggards continue to lag forever. It feels like. I mean, and let's just have a two minute rain here on laggards versus momentum trades. I mean, I've uh, you know. And, and the show has helped me. You know, traders like Spinner have helped me over the years in my swing trading as well. Not my arbitrage stuff. I make stuff. That's my bread and butter. I do all that stuff. But, you know, from my swing trading perspective, which is what you people are interested in because you guys can participate in this stuff, I've done a lot better um, from, you know, when we started the show six years ago because, you know, I've learned that, hey, the trend is your friend. You buy stocks in uptrends. You sell stocks short that are in downtrends and overall, the overall trend. And I mean, you look at laggards lag for a reason. They lag for a long, long time. Um, and it's hard to get them to turn. So sometimes you get lucky and sometimes you'll catch the bottom. But more often than not, a new low begets more new lows. And new all-time highs, usually the stocks continue to rise. So it's tough to just be a trend fader and a contrarian in a market that's just built on momentum. And I, I just look at Baidu and I think, wow, that's the stock's just underperformed for so long. Why is now going to be the time that it's going to start outperforming? By, by, you could have said this you know, over the last five, six, seven yeah. years. And you're wrong, 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 wrong. You have some moments where you think you're right. And then it just turns around and starts going the other way too. So buy the leaders, short the laggards. It's the key, it seems like, in this market for the last decade. All right. Uh, if you liked this show today, you can hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. We appreciate that. Thanks to any and any and all super chat uh, donations in YouTube. I see someone. Uh, I didn't see it when it, when it happened, but we appreciate. Your mom donated today, Spencer. Oh, thank, okay, great. Um, you can catch a replay of this show on YouTube or our podcast. It's available on every major podcast platform: Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Please remember that all the information from our show is meant to be used as informational purposes and not for investing or trading advice. Uh, and you can always email us with feedback, good, bad, or otherwise, premarket at benzinga.com. That's it for us. Joel and I will be back at 3.40 p.m. Eastern. Until then, good luck. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. 
With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.